Well, a carja, Shaw Jerry Adams, a rich. August Morris Gra, Tosola Gomsa, Gwil Shibsha, Gumoy. So, the three days of the conference to mark Agreement 25 at Queen's University in Belfast, a quarter of a century after the Good Friday Agreement, was an opportunity again to meet many of those who were there when the agreement was thrashed out in 1998. And I was particularly happy to see George Mitchell. He was in great form, and for me, his speech was the highlight of the conference, lucid, reasoned, futuring, and compelling. The absence of John Hume, me and Paisley, Martin McGuinness, David Trimble, Seamus Mullen and David Irvine and others was a reminder, a poignant reminder of the transient nature of life and the permanency of death. Queen's did a great job of putting this event together. It must have been a logistical challenge, but it worked. Victims of the conflict undoubtedly deserved a more central place on the agenda. And I was disappointed at the lack of Irish language signage or content. But these are matters which can be improved by Queen's University Belfast in the time ahead. But thank you and well done to all involved. Looking back 25 years from Sinn Féin's perspective was interesting the Good Friday Agreement is the most important political initiative in over a hundred years in this island and some of the key elements of the agreement have still not been implemented by the British and Irish governments and particularly the Bill of Rights for the North and the Charter of Rights for the island and the absence of a civic forum. 25 years later these are still necessary parts of the agreement which require further action. The Good Friday Agreement was and is an agreement on a journey without agreement on the destination. For some it's about maintaining the union with Britain. For others it's a pathway or a potential pathway to a united Ireland. Ultimately it's for the people to decide. And that presents Republicans with a major challenge. We have to persuade those who are rather opposed to Irish unity or ambivalent on it, that their future will be best served in a united Ireland. We have to convince those who are British that their culture, their rights and their sense of Britishness will be protected within a new Ireland, within the European Union. I believe we can do that. I believe that an Irish government taking a proactive United Ireland stance, along with our many friends and allies internationally, can successfully chart a course and will successfully chart a course to that new Ireland. We also have to get the Assembly and the Executive back up and running. Anyone listening to the panel discussions during the conference will have been encouraged by the unanimity of approach by the Irish, British and US governments, the leaders of the European Union and critically by all of the parties with the exception of the DUP. All want the institutions back in place. Speaker after speaker and frequently to loud applause made this very clear. Uchtaron Hinn Féin, Mary Lou Macdonald spoke of the need 
to recreate the spirit of 1998. We need a renewed commitment from all political leaders that we will work together, that we will share power together, and that we will have a government that will work in the interests of everyone. So too did George Mitchell, who challenged the current and future leaders to act with courage and vision, as their predecessors did 25 years ago. For the past year, the DUP have absented themselves from the institutions. It's my firm view that they will return to the Northern Assembly, but I don't know when. And I don't expect to be told when before anybody else. So I think it's foolish to speculate about this. Our time is better spent persuading or trying to persuade the two governments to convene the British Irish Intergovernmental Conference. That should be in place and was agreed upon to fit exactly the type of difficulties, to resolve exactly the type of difficulties that we're having at the moment. So far, Antishak has refused to call for the convening of the British-Irish Governmental Conference. Why not, Leo? Ken Fa. And it isn't uh, the only matter that the Irish government is falling on and failing on. Dublin Castle was the venue last week of Together Again. Lahela Arish, the third of the Irish government's global Irish civic forums. These events bring together representatives of the Irish diaspora from across the world to promote a conversation on issues of concern and interest to the diaspora. And one issue of concern that's been repeatedly put on the back burner by the Dublin government for the last decade is that of voting rights in presidential elections for Irish citizens living outside the southern state, in the north and in the diaspora. VotingRights.ie is a group advocating for presidential voting rights for Irish citizens within the diaspora. During the Global Irish Civic Forum event, they raised this in a letter to Antonista Michal Martin. The group expressed its disappointment that a referendum granting citizens living outside the state the right to vote in future presidential elections has been kicked to touch once again and is now scheduled for 2025. VotingRights.ie point out that this will mean that the earliest election these citizens could vote for the president would be in 2032. In July 2012, the Irish government established a convention on the constitution. Its purpose was to consider a wide range of constitutional issues and to make recommendations on each matter to the House of the Oireachtas, to the Houses of the Oireachtas and to the government. In 2013, the Convention considered the proposal to give Irish citizens resident outside the state the right to vote in presidential elections. It examined specifically whether citizens outside the state should have the vote in these elections. 78% of the Convention said yes. When specifically asked if citizens resident in the North should have that vote, 73% voted yes. The government then refused to bring forward any report to the Dáil on this issue. In November 2015, following criticism by the European Commission, the Joint Oireachtas Committee on European Affairs recommended extending voting rights. 
In February 2018, Antisha Oakley or told the Shannad that the referendum would be held within two years. In October of that year, he announced that the referendum would be held in May 2019. Later that date was shifted back to October 2019. Bradker's proposal was that all citizens, wherever they live in the world, will be entitled to register to vote for the next president. It would be a postal vote for those not living in the state. In September 2019, the government published the Presidential Voting Right Referendum legislation. However, the referendum still hasn't happened. The Office of the President and the role of the Presidency in the day-to-day life of the Irish nation are hugely symbolic and important. It's now 10 years since the Constitutional Convention voted in favour of a referendum on presidential voting. It's time the Irish government honoured its commitments. Well done to votingrights.ie for raising this important issue. And another equally important issue is the climate. And last Saturday was Earth Day. The theme was invest in our planet with the focus on encouraging business and people to use sustainable practices in their everyday work. The first Earth Day took place in April 1970 in the USA. The massive oil spill at Santa Barbara in California in January 1969 and the student anti-Vietnam War movement were the catalyst. 20 years later, the event went global and hundreds of millions participated and set the scene for the 1992 United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. Today, Earth Day is more important than ever. This is evident from the report published last month by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the body that advises the UN and governments. In very stark terms, it delivered a final warning, note my friends, a final warning about the climate crisis facing the world. The UN General Secretary described this report as a clarion call to massively fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector on an every time frame. Our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. In December, the leaders of the world's nations will gather at COP28 in Dubai to assess progress since the Paris Agreement and agree on the ambitious climate plans needed to avert the climate disaster that is looming. The UN General Secretary warned that these plans must cover the entire economy. Partial pledges won't cut it. We've never been better equipped to solve the climate challenge, but we must move into warp speed climate action now. We don't have a minute to lose. He's right. We need an executive in the North and a government in Dublin that will understand that climate action must be a priority now and that an all-island agreement on how best to achieve that needs to be put into action. And finally, I bought a bag of uh, assorted tulip bulbs before Christmas. I was looking for daffodils. They were actually in brown bags. 
and I picked up the tulips by mistake. When I discovered this, I was disappointed. I love daffodils, but now I love tulips as well. They're in full bloom now, in pots. Beautiful bright colours, pinks and reds and mauve and purple and white. Gladdening the eye and brightening my day. I will never look down my nose at tulips again. I can't wait to plant next year's technicolour bloom, along with the daffodils. So, on that note, let's go out with Max Bygrave and tulips from Anster Dan. So, Gome Shiv Slan, Tuggabuge, Durime Latsa Arish Slan, August Banakti, Devsha Gulyar. Tulips from Amsterdam. When it's spring again, I'll bring again tulips from Amsterdam. With a heart that's true, I'll give to you tulips from Amsterdam. I can't wait until the day you fill these eager arms of mine. Like the windmill keeps on turning, that's how my heart keeps on yearning. For the day I know we can share these tulips from Amsterdam. Like the wind keeps on turning That's how my heart keeps on yearning For the day I know we can Share these tulips from Amsterdam Share these tulips